It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. What's good, everybody? Welcome back to No Chill with Gilbert Arenas. As you can see, we're back out here at Slick Studios, and today we got a very special guest. 14-year NBA vet, played with nine different teams, was a member of the 2007 We Believe Warriors, came back 10 years later to finish up his career in 2017 and win a ring in the Bay. Now you can catch him hosting my favorite podcast, other than No Chill with Gilbert Arenas, uh, All the Smoke on Showtime with Steven Jackson. The man that some of us know is Elder Barnes. <laughs> you got Matt Barnes in the building. Up, That's probably my favorite, my favorite Matt one. Barnes nickname is Elder El Barnes. Barnes. And That's I feel funny. like that we said that in the you said the locker room back way in back the in the day. And then it, it got to Twitter yeah, in like it, 2010 and then everybody yeah, just rolling funny. with it. That's funny. The so you had two names shit. in 2010? Oh no, the other one was just a phrase. Matt gonna kill you. <laughs> oh yeah, that was uh, the uh, Orlando shirt shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Matt gonna kill you. So, first and foremost, I just want to ask you, obviously, you're heavy in the cannabis space. Uh, grown men don't share blunts, especially right. during a pandemic. Mm -hmm. But if you could share a blunt with anybody in history, who would it be? In the history, it'd probably have to be Tupac. Okay. Um, you know, fortunate to come to L.A. in 98 and kind of meet all your favorite people. And sometimes they're not really who you think you are, but I never got a chance to meet Pac. And, uh, you know, Pac is an inspiration for me on, on so many different levels. So. That would be the one person, if I had to pass a blunt in 2021, I would definitely be able to pass that to him. And if he was holding it too long, would you say anything to him? <laughs> no, I need it back, just let it, just let it. <laughs> Or maybe, probably, probably just light another one. Okay. And you know what I mean? We'd both be smoking our solos. And if you could ask Pac one question you could think of, what, what would you ask him? Mm, man, one question. Um, I see you got him on the hand, too, so it's... Right, yeah, I got him on my hand. Um, one question, one question, one question. Um... I probably would have just warned him. I wouldn't have asked, asked, asked him a question. I would have warned him to to, to to lay low and chill out and, and be great in your lane and stay out of the, the politics. I mean, because I think we all miss him and, and coming to L.A., you guys both being from here, you know, there's a lot of politics that go on with shit. So I would have I would have just kind of given him a, a, a view of the future, told him to lay low. You know, you know the funny thing about Pac, and especially rap now, right? People don't realize he was the most balanced rapper. He was the most balanced rapper because he played in multiple lanes. Mm -hmm. So when you ask a rapper, well, I'm the next Pac, and I'm, I'm like, which Pac are you talking about? Right. Like, like the game, the, the, you got gang the game banger, banging the Pac, okay. Then you got the iconic Pac, and then you got the ladies Pac. There's, there's, which one are you trying to be? Because there's... There's three, four different type of mm -hmm. Pac. So when you said I'm the next Pac, you you're just talking about the gangbang yeah, Pac. I think that's disrespectful for anyone <laughs> yeah. to say that. Because like, like the, you said, his versatility was unmatched. He had a song for every, every emotion. You know what I mean? Whether it be good or bad. You know. So to me, his that's a great point. Very balanced, very versatile. So for any of these newer people to say that they're the new version of this or that, like, 
It is what it, it is. It doesn't say they just don't realize no. how you, you just listen to the one you're, side of them. They, they hit them up pot. Mm -hmm. That's the one you're, you're not. Right. <laughs> Brenda don't have a baby pot. You don't yeah. pay attention to that. Yeah. It's, it's the hit them up pot. Dear mama so like, pot. Yeah. You know, white man's world pot. There's, you know, there's so many different. <laughs> I get around pot yeah. like this. Right. You have so many right. avenues of pot. So if you're like, if you're trying to be the next him, you got to understand, you got to tap into all of it. Just versatility. Yeah, that's real. So we're, we're in the middle of, you know, NFL season. A lot of people don't think realize that football was your first love. Yeah. May arguably be your best sport if we keep mm -hmm. it, we're keeping it 100. But, you know, do you think if you would have kept pursuing football, obviously I know you set the record uh, as a senior in high school and kind of all that stuff and, and playing through turf toe and all mm -hmm. that goodness. But do you think if you would have stayed on that trajectory, you could have been in the NFL? And if so, who would you compare yourself to as a um, receiver? You know, you never, because obviously you want to respect the craft of each and to make it a professional on any level. Is, you know, it's like lightning, and, you know, getting struck by lightning. But I feel like I was definitely on the path um, with my height at, you know, 6'8". I was running a 4'3'9 in high school. You know, I can jump 37, 38 inches. And I really played football. Like, football is my first sport. Like, we used to play tackle football on the street. You know, my dad was cut by the Niners, one of the last cuts for Bill Walsh in the early 80s. Um, but then he went to selling drugs, so they were playing tackle football, you know, at the park every Saturday. So football was my life. Um, I didn't really pick up basketball until, you know, 11, 12, kind of later in elementary school. So, again, not to say that we can just hop and do whatever, but I felt like I definitely was on path to, 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 to be able to play in the NFL. Now, longevity-wise, you know, being 6'8", and, and, you know, the weight I was, I don't know how long my career would have lasted, but I definitely really feel like I could have made a, a bigger, more impactful splash in the NBA because there wasn't really too many people that, could, if anybody, that can, like I said, with speed, height, the ability to really catch and jump, that could have stayed with me. I, I, <clears throat> what's so funny is football was my first sport. Really? Yeah. yeah. So uh, my best friend, uh, Mike from USC, we grew up together in Florida. Uh -huh. So I moved here and then um, played for East Valley Trojans. Got my helmet knocked off. And that was it. Yeah, and I woke up. How old? I was a basketball player. How old, How old were you? <laughs> I was 11. Yeah. Yep, East Valley Trojans trying to do yeah. a quarterback sneak, and, and they told it. me, do not quarterback sneak on the Eagles because they uh -huh. got a guy who just the knocks. Hitter. Yeah, they got. <laughs> you didn't believe it. I didn't lie. Faked it. <laughs> Boom. Cleaned you up. See, woke up, had yeah. a running Rebels jersey on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't, I didn't play tackle till high school. You know, I was just naturally aggressive and bigger, so my parents never wanted me to play tackle, so it was always flag up until high school, and then once I got there, like, you want to play tackle, play tackle, and I was like, yeah, so I mean, it was it was really easily easily my best sport, just naturally gifted at it, um, and really, you know, to be able to transition into the NBA, I kind of just looked at myself as a, a football player playing basketball, mm -hmm. that's why, you know, I played with the kind of tenacity and intensity I play with, you know, I love the contact, I love defense, and then, you know, getting out there flying on the lane, flying down the lane and having a point guard passing you the ball, just like, you know, running a go route or a slant uh, in football. So I really just kind of transitioned my football skill to the basketball court and, and, and kind of kept that same energy. <clears throat> I think that helped me with contact, too. Yeah. You know, just to think about it, just wanting to be hit. Yeah. Learning how to get that hit, learning you, how to absorb that energy. That or you kicking your leg out of people's nuts <laughs> when you're going to the basket, <laughs> that kind of contact. This Will come to the basket with his knees and legs <laughs> flying and always get an and one like what the f kick me <laughs> so when you look at your obviously physicality ucla we're teammates there but you know how did football help you in terms of getting where you wanted to get it to on the basketball court i just think the mindset um you know i was someone who did everything well nothing great in basketball um so i knew that i was gonna have to find a niche in the game 
Um, and once early on, I just figured, okay, I can play defense, you know, so let me kind of figure out what this defensive niche is, why I'm able to develop my shot, uh, you know, because I went to UCLA and they, uh, was, you know, we had the number one recruiting class with McDonald's All-Americans on the wing, so they put me down at like the four position. So I was, you know, a, a guard in high school and I went down to try to play the four position. So I really kind of got my, my guard skills dropped off and I had to just adapt to whatever UCLA needed to get on the court. <clears throat> so, you know, transitioning into the NBA, let me find what my niche is and where I can be most effective at right away. And then through playing defense, I was allowed to develop kind of the rest of my, you know, my ability to shoot and, and show my ability to make plays and, and do everything else out there. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games. So I remember you said like your senior year, you probably had the best three-day window for a college hoop I think I'd probably ever saw. We played SC in the forum. Once we'll say you dropped 34 on their head, but just threes, just doing everything. Mm -hmm. Then we get number one Kansas coming in, Drew Gooden, that, that squad. Mm -hmm. Put up a 27-piece. Got the got the dub. I mean, yeah. was was it at that moment kind of when you realized like, yo, I can I can really take this to the next level and, and be a be a solid player in the Either, league. I, I thought I definitely had a chance. You know, you can't tell anyone in college that they're not going to the league, and you know how many of us actually go. You know, what I mean, so obviously I already had kind of the thought that I can, I want to. This is what I want to do. But until you actually get that opportunity, you know what I mean? Because I was someone who was, you know drafted in the second round and when I went when I was drafted to Memphis traded draft day for Wesley Persons and went to Cleveland where it was uh, John Lucas and he didn't give me a chance like I was cut super early you know what I mean so you went from okay damn I'm drafted dope let's see what happens to not even getting a chance but then having to go to the D League when it's I think it's second year in infancy so that was shit was terrible you know what I mean so that really is what kind of got my my foot, you know, like, okay, I know I can play on this next level. I just got to be able to show it. So that's when that grind really started. So, you know, you talk about that coming out of college. I remember you had the Tahoe in college on like 21s, 22s, baller. <laughs> right before the draft, though, you came you through in the. Cut. Yeah, with the Escalade. Yeah. Escalade yeah. on like 26s. Yeah. Yeah. Right, but once, reality, once reality set in and I was in that motherfucking D or G League, whatever it was called, like, I was living better at UCLA. There's no hey, question. Hey, yo, I said, yo, yeah. I said the same thing when I got drafted. I took yeah. a pink up Yeah, here. for real, man. I mean, they, you know, th th through the grace of God, you know, I kept landing with some new trucks and a nice little apartment at UCLA. <laughs> you know, when I'm about to get drafted, I signed one on. So, you know, they front me. They're what, the 50, 60,000 to get the Escalade, and that's when you get the TVs. And yeah, the big yeah, yeah. No, it was sweet on the top. Right, so you, but you it know, was like you, motivation for all of us. Right. Like, oh, she got the black right. Escalades on 26. It's like, But ooh. then the real shit is, 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 is the humbling fact is like, yo, I can't afford this now I'm yeah. not in the league you know what I mean so having that flip that sell that and then go on this grind in Fayetteville North Carolina of all places you know what I mean so that's a, a really another reason obviously my football mentality but just kind of understanding the grind 
that I had to get to get to the NBA. That's why I played every single game like it was my last because I had been through the, the motherfucking bottom of the toilet uh, with that. And I was just like, this is not the life I want to live. So, you know, I had to really step that grind and that mentality that's either going to be me or you. And whether that's basketball, fighting, whatever the situation is, I'm going to do pretty good in that. So let's see what we can do. Yeah, see, people don't understand, like, to really, like, like to really make it in anything, you know, it's two avenues. Love, right? You just love it to death where you're going to just do it. Or pain that you never want to feel mm-hmm. <laughs> the way you felt in that moment ever again, which puts you on the path of being great. So when mm-hmm. you hear stories, it's usually the pain. Mm-hmm. You know, this happened, my mom was struggling, and I had to boom, 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 right? Or a Tiger Woods story where they are well off, right? Or the Grant Hill story, they are mm-hmm. well off, but those kids love it so much that they become mm-hmm. who they are. You know, like Steph Curry. Yeah. You know, they're privileged, you know, right. but they love the game so much, that's what got them. So mm-hmm. you only got two paths. Yeah. You know See, what I mean? It's interesting because I, I didn't, it was weird. I loved basketball, but not like the type of love, like I'll do anything for it. It was weird because, you know, when we were growing up, and, and same with you, Joe, like we weren't training, like we were moving, or I know I, I was just moving on to the next sport. We played a lot of pickup basketball, but as mm-hmm. far as the individual skill, we were never doing that, mm-hmm. ever. You know what I mean? If you had it, you had it. That wasn't necessarily my strength, so I didn't, and when I tell people this, like I didn't start working out for the NBA until I made the NBA. Mm-hmm. And now, like fast forward, you know, so many re- years removed, and we have children now. Like our kids have those. You know, we <laughs> train. Trainers. We train our kids. Dude, we have dude. trainers for our kids, and it's just like, yo, we never did none of this shit because I was someone in high school that did football, baseball, basketball, and track. So I was from one season to another. Never even took a recruiting trip. I just know I came to LA on a recruiting trip. I saw sun, palm trees, the beach, women. <laughs> like I'm gonna go to school here. It, it, just, it just makes sense. You yeah, know what yeah. I mean? But I never went to Arizona until uh-huh. we actually played them. I thought like, damn, if I would have came here, I took a visit here, I probably would have went to Arizona. But I was just always in another season, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? So I never really trained for my sports. And again, not that I didn't love basketball because I did love basketball, but basketball was never my life at all. You know what I mean? Like I, I love the fact that I got paid good money to, to play a game, but it was never really my life. So that's why when you see shit with me in the media or off the court, because like I said, I never looked at myself as like a basketball player. Like I, every shit that happened to me, like I approached it like I'm a man first. Like, the NBA so if you're gonna do some ill shit some ill shit might come back to you type situation so again I had a love for the sport but I was it, it was never like my life so let's go back 2003 you're, you're in the ABA and the ABA kind of it's not the ABA like like we think about in the 70s this so, is like the janky kind of Juarez like, Mexico yeah, who but, who yeah. but ABA but you're playing on the squad you guys won the championship but you're playing on the squad with Dennis Rodman so what what is that experience like getting a worm that's kind of obviously on the tail end of his career, but still probably active in the streets? And It was cool, man. And what happened was, unfortunately, I never really got to kick it with Dennis because he was only on our team for maybe two weeks before I got called up and I was out. Because I, I did my thing in the G League, but I got stuck behind Jason Capel. Um, his dad was our coach. I got injured. I went to the bench, never really got to get my rhythm again. So I did good in the G League, but it, I guess it wasn't enough. So I had to go to the ABA the, the beginning of the following year and was just killing in that. And then I got called up literally right before I got called up to the Clippers, we got Rodman. And it was just dope because obviously, you know, us all growing up being Michael Jordan fans and Matty Johnson fans to, to get Dennis Rodman after, you know, the, the, the champion and all his antics, mm-hmm. that shit is right up my alley, you know? Mm-hmm. So he starts, you know, he comes to ABA practice with, you know, six or seven people, flip flops, glasses, his bulldog with them. I don't know what the 
Because in this cup, I didn't even care, but it's just like, yo, Dennis Rodman is here. So it was cool. To, like I said, I only got really got a chance to meet him and cross paths a little bit. We never got a chance to kick it, but just the chance to kind of be in his presence and, and, and kind of understanding his greatness and, and everything he was about, um, it was cool to kind of, kind of catch him on his tail end, I guess. So did he give you any, any advice, tips, wisdom, anything you, nah, you look man, at? No, man, like I said, I wish we would have got a chance to kick it. You know what I mean? Because I was on my grind at that time, but I was always with the shit. You know yeah, what I mean? Know so that. I would have loved to <laughs> yeah, sit down and smoke with them or go out with them one night and, and, and see what kind of trouble we could have got into, but it just never ended up leading to that. For sure. Well, let's fast forward. Your last year in the league, 2017, you're on the Kings, kind of, you know, end up, I think, getting, getting released after the boogie trade. Mm -hmm. Warriors come calling. They got, obviously, KD, Steph, that mm -hmm. squad. How excited are you when you find out you're going literally from the Kings to yeah. the team that's going to win a ring? So what happened was it was, you know, I would just got traded from the Clippers to Memphis. Uh, the Memphis shit didn't really work out. Their GM was full of shit. So I ended up leaving and signing um, <laughs> a three-year deal with Sacramento. And this is right when, you know, I'm figuring like, fuck, let me just go home and end my career with Sacramento. You know, they got a new arena. Let's, you know, maybe sneak into that eight seed, bring some energy back to the city and kind of play on that. So when I go to Sacramento, I enjoy it. Like I said, I, I'm going home. I'm going to finish my career, you know, where I played high school basketball at. I'm, I'm looking forward to this. And the whole season, somehow I got named like the Boogie Whisperer. So any like anyone had anything to say to Boogie, they would come to me because me and Boogie had <laughs> like, like a, a mutual respect. Like he listened to me, you know, although I wasn't on the caliber of his player. I just I just my reputation, you know, preceded me and it kind of spoke for me. So he always would listen to what I had to say because, you know, he knows I wouldn't lead him wrong. So just that whole season, you know, they're whispering to me, everyone from the owners to the GMs to the coaches, you know, we're, we're good here. You know, how is he, you know, tell him he's not getting traded, this, this and that. And it's just like they're coming to me and saying all this shit. So when he actually gets traded at all at the All-Star game while he's on the podium, I'm like, damn, these motherfuckers spent half the beginning of this, the whole beginning of the season telling me to tell him that he's not going anywhere. And then you motherfuckers trade him while he's doing an interview at the All-Star game. I'm like, damn. So when that happens, you know, me and Blotty talking, like we were, I want to say like a game and a half out of eighth or two games out of eighth. Like a, my goal going into it was just make the playoffs. Mm -hmm. The Warriors are the team at the time. Try to steal one game in the playoffs, but just bring that kind of excitement back to Sacramento and just kind of, you know, like I said, trying to build on that. So they just decided that, you know, they said the Buddy Heald was supposed to be the next Steph Curry. They felt like Boogie's time up there was up and he was gone. So when I talked to Vladi, I'm like, Vladi, I'm, you know, I'm 36. I'm too old to rebuild, you know. So we discussed the situation to where, you know, I would be able to leave. They still had to pay me and then I was free to join someone else. Um, rewind to the beginning of that summer, KD and I were talking because, I mean, he's just like, you know, we got to know each other pretty well through battling through the playoffs. He's like, you know, I want you to come, you know, come, come play with me, come with me so I'm just like all right he's like he's like you know which I was like what are you gonna do he's like you know the Golden State thing I was just like really it's like I'm not I'm not sure he's just like you know but that's where I'm kind of leaning to I'm like well shit I'm, I'm definitely down so when you get your shit done you know let me know and I'll slide in there once he got his shit done there was obviously not a penny left so you know I t obviously <laughs> took more money with go or with, with Sacramento but then you know once I left Sacramento um maybe like four or five days later um KD gets hurt in, in, in DC where he hyperextends his knee and I get a phone call from Steve Kerr, like, hey, you know, Katie went down, you know, we wanted to get you this past summer. Things didn't work out, but we would love to have you come out here now. I'm like, he's like, are you willing? I'm like, yeah. Like, so with me and the, me and the twins are at KFC. It's like seven o'clock at night. We had just finished working out. I was working out with them. 
we're eating our little chicken, our little hot wings, and I was just like, he's like, yeah, can you be packed and ready to come to Chicago tomorrow? I'm like, yeah, so I flew to Chicago the next day, and then the, the next game, I'm, I'm there, I'm, I'm a warrior, and I go out there and play like 25 minutes of my first game, and I'm like, shit, that was kind of like a, a crazy <laughs> five-day whirlwind that, that ended up working out for the best, but, you know, the the part about that situation and then the, the, in the way my words have been twisted about me winning a championship and not wanting to, to, to accept the ring was, you know, I go in there, um, obviously it's going to be a group effort to try to replace someone like KD. You know, I'm getting a lot of, you know, I'm playing, you know, 20, 24 minutes a game, playing well, doing my part. The very first game, KD comes back like a week before the playoffs. I sprained my, like severely sprained my ankle, like almost broke my ankle. Like my, I don't ever swell from anything. This shit was a balloon. I'm like, so we're a week out from the playoffs. KD's back. We're supposed to hit our stride and go win this championship. Um, so my ankle has me hampered feeling. In a, and I didn't even feel good once I was, you know, ready to kind of go out there. But basically to the Western Conference Finals. And, you know, by that time, me being a vet and understanding the situation, they were already rolling. The chemistry, you got your rotations by that point. So to me, I was just, you know, trying to be that, that vet, talking to people here and there, practicing when I needed to practice for the guys and just staying ready. Um, but when they won the championship, like obviously I felt like my body of work over my career, I felt like I earned that ring because I, you know, I put in a lot of, a lot of hours, took a lot less money, which was stupid to try to win a ring. Um, but I just felt like I wasn't out there guarding Kawhi. I wasn't out there guarding Damon CJ. I wasn't out there guarding LeBron in the final. So to me, like everything had been, nothing had ever been handed to me. Like I had to get and grind to go take everything for me. So I kind of felt like with me, having a free ride through the playoffs, I wasn't really out there with my team in that grind. So that's why I felt like I didn't really earn it in the moment, you know? And so, so what happens is I end up getting the ring a little bit later because I, I wasn't obviously there the next season for the ceremony and they do this ceremony for me and my, for, for me. And then I end up getting the twins rings and I stay for the game, but they give me this big ass box. So I give a box to Raymond Ritter. Shout out Ray. He, uh, I don't even know. His, I mean, he's, he's been there forever. So he's <laughs> yes. way up in the ranks now. But I give the box to Ray and he locks it in this room. And then when me and the twins are ready to leave, the room is locked. So I'm just like, all right, well, fuck. We'll just figure out how I'll get that ring. And we just never, you know, we just never really timed it up to get the ring. So everyone's saying, well, he didn't let, he left his ring in Oakland. He didn't want it. That's this. I was just like, no, nah, that's not really what happened. It just, we never crossed paths again. You're so. not holding the big box right. in the seat yeah, for the game. Saying, What's in your box? Like, I just didn't feel like doing that. Some shit. Maybe two years later, they surprised me on the jump. Um, again, Ray, shout out Ray and Coach mm -hmm. Kerr. Um, drove, had it dro driven down to LA and, and gave it to me. So I think there was a kind of a misconception that he didn't ex he didn't want his ring. He this this and that. Like I just felt like in the moment I didn't earn it. Um, but it wasn't that I didn't want it. I just shit was locked in the room. <laughs> <laughs> what was that feeling like putting that ring on for the first time? Um, it was cool. It, to be honest with you, the only time I put the ring on was that time. On, on Actually, I don't even think I put it on, uh, on the jump that day. I think I went home after and put it on. And, I mean, it was cool. Like, I'm not a jewelry person. Like I said, it just kind of, I, I looked at it and it was just like, yo, you had a, you know, you had a fun 14-year run. What? No, that wasn't the flip one, huh? The what? Right. You're, you're top in the flip pump. No, there was, there was, it was Jason of Beverly Hills. It was nice. It was clean. Um, and again, I think the best part about that whole ride was that the twins got to experience with me. So they were traveling on the plane in the locker room in the Western Conference Finals after practices at nine years old, having shootouts with Katie and Steph. I was just like, to me, that experience was so dope. And when we won the championship, these little motherfuckers were on the front of the stage trying to grab trophies from Coach yeah, yeah, yeah. and KD and Steph and thinking they won a championship too. So I was like, you couldn't tell those little motherfuckers.
They didn't win nothing, so that's why I decided to buy them <laughs> rings um, as well. But again, I think the best part of it, obviously, the opportunity was dope. Playing with that team was dope. But the chance that my, the opportunity that my kids got within that experience was amazing to me. How was how was the experience just from as a hooper? Like you know, you've been on teams. You, you, thirteen years you played, and you know, going into the season, getting ready for playoffs. Like what 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 made you guys different? At the time, it was, you know, just everyone kind of kept their egos at the door. You know what I mean? The, the, the goal was to win. You know, that mm -hmm. team had so much firepower, um, so many stars from our coaches to our players that, you know, at least while I was there, it was basketball was what was most important. Winning was most important. So, you know, there were games where, you know, guys wouldn't do kill, but at the end of the day, you won by 30, and, you know, mm -hmm. so it, it, it was someone else's turn. So. You know, when I was there, it was just, you know, the chemistry was, was second to none. It was a dope environment. Like, you know, I mean, you, you know, it's sometimes you don't even want to see the facility, but this, the energy was different yeah, there. Yeah. Like, it, it just kind of felt like every day it was cool to be in there from the strength coaches to the trainers to the coaching staff to the players. It was just a fun working environment. And, and the second time around being able to go back there, the first time I went there, you know, we were with the old ownership and it was just kind of like uh, a regular team. When you went back, you could really feel the presence of that ownership and how all you had to do was worry about basketball. But uh, I think the thing that surprised me the most was the work ethic from the stars. Like these guys are literally shooting before and after practice and everyone would have their court. Like Steph and KD would be over with Steve Nash on the first court doing all this weird spinning footwork shit, flip shit, balance shit. I'm just like all these crazy shots you see them making the games like they really work on those. And then Clay's on the other end of that shit where Clay will shoot 100 shots and probably miss three of them. And then you got Iggy, you got Draymond, you got David, and then you got some of the younger guys. So you literally, it was dope because I was just someone that always just got shots after practice. But in that team, everyone worked after practice. So I would have to sit for maybe like the first 30 or 45 minutes and just watch these guys. And it was just like, it was a beautiful thing to see everyone out there getting that extra work after practice and really, you know, perfecting their craft. Because I've been on teams like once coach says it's done, it's ghost everyone town, ghost town. gone. You know, some of get out there before the water even hits them in the shower smelling like <laughs> a bag of nuts but with this team like I said if people were lingered around hung around because it was just a good environment to be in <clears throat> so you said uh, you know you, you had that that whirlwind Kings wave you there in mm -hmm. a couple of days how long did it take you to really feel like you were part of that something you get thrust in the it fire, was good obviously. you know it was quick. Game, right? yeah like I said it was quick you know coach Kurt threw me right in the fire and I've always been someone that knows my role on teams. I know why they brought me there, so it wasn't really much. I kind of just had to learn their system, and their system is really out of creativity. Like the one thing they told me is just always, you know, always try to screen down for Stephen Clay. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I always try to screen down for Stephen Clay. So that was, with me, you know, being able to catch the ball in the middle, similar to kind of some of the stuff Draymond does and being able to make plays out of that middle position and, and, and knock down shots. Like I said, it was such an easy transition for me to fit on that team that uh, it didn't take me long to fit in. And, and obviously, you know, all those guys were cool because, you know, we had, when I was with the Lob City Clipper team, we were battling that young warrior team. And I knew, like, yo, these, these, these young motherfuckers are on the way. We mm -hmm. got to get our shit together, Blake and Chris. Like, these young motherfuckers. I don't know it's going to be their time any day. Um, so just kind of being able to play against them a lot as they're coming up. You know, when I got a chance to join them at for the end of me, I already knew what they were about and how they play because I was a fan of them. So it was kind of a seamless transition. So Lob said you're cognizant, though. Like, oh, yeah, you, they're coming. You know, like these dudes, they're coming they're for that coming. You know, we were the last team to beat that Lob City team. We beat them that Sterling year. I think that was 14. Yeah. Um, we beat them in seven games in L.A., but I was just like, it's, it's a matter of time before this team is the best team in the world. And that next year they went out and got their first championship and, and started their run. 
And just quickly on the, the, the Sterling situation, obviously my pops played for the Clippers, so I know mm -hmm. you, you could probably sit here and tell us all types of crazy mm -hmm. wild shit, but going into that game, you guys decide to obviously flip the jerseys, you're going to throw mm -hmm. the shit on, on the ground. Mm -hmm. how, how hard of a decision was for that all you guys to make? You know, it's, it's tough sometimes yeah. to get crews on the same yeah. page to do shit. I just think people had to understand the whole entire situation, which is we felt like that team was the we were one of the best teams in the league that year, 50-plus games. We felt like we had a chance to win a championship. So, obviously, we knew something had to be done, but we just didn't know the magnitude of what would come. Like, if we were to sit out, do we sit out one game, or how long do we sit out? Because he's not going anywhere after mm -hmm. one game. Like, are we going to have to forfeit the rest of the series? Like, we can't give any. If we forfeit, is it a loss, or are the Warriors going <laughs> to forfeit, too? Because we can't give these young motherfuckers just any free games. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You mean, so we just didn't know the ramifications of our decisions. <clears throat> um, because it was new to everyone. It was really new to basketball. You know, this is the first time you got to think, this is the night before we're supposed to play a game against this young, hungry Warriors team that, you know, Sterling is, is, is doing Sterling shit. So it's just like the world is trying to tell us what we need to do and you're not black if you don't do this and you guys are sellouts and you guys are working mm -hmm. for the white man. We're hearing all kinds of shit. And this is early social media interaction before, you know, social media at this point is just about posting the shit you got. It's yeah. nothing nothing political. It's no make a stand. It's none of this. Um, so, you know, we're getting all this outside feedback on, on what the f we're supposed to be doing. So, you know, I was one of the leading voices in that locker room. And, and to me, like I was just like, you know, there was a discussion about not playing. It hit some people harder than it hit others. So I'm just like, at the end of the day, man, we got a chance to win championship. Let's go beat these young motherfuckers. Like, flip our shirts over, take the shit off when we get out there and go play. You know what I mean? But I just, obviously, we probably should have just forfeited that game because they beat the dog shit out of us that game, <laughs> that very next game. But instead, we were able to, you know, kind of gather ourselves and win in seven. But it was crazy to, to, to just the timing of everything. But to me, it wasn't anything new. You know, I just think Sterling was the one dumb enough to get caught speaking like that on, on record because there's plenty of owners that probably have that same mentality mm -hmm. towards their players. They're just not dumb enough to get recorded, you know, by some trick. You know, they're just trying to get them set up. So it wasn't really a big deal to me. Like I said, some guys took it bigger than other guys took it, but um, it's it, it's the America and the sports we kind of live in. Did you ever deal with, you know, ownership, anybody, you know, in your time who was like, just, you know, it feels like some shit's going on or some, some funny style stuff? Nah, nah. Um. Uh, you know. I really didn't pay attention, you know. To be honest, you know, I, I'm not even gonna lie. Like when I was with when I was with Golden State, I'm in the gym all day. You know what I mean? I, I remember we got rid of Mookie Baylock, or we didn't even get rid of Mookie Baylock. Mookie Baylock went to golf in the middle of practice, um, and I never seen him again. <laughs> like, so I mean, I've never actually seen Mookie again. So like, I, I don't know what happened. Like, you know what I mean? I was just so into my own that I really didn't. You just, I just already, I just assumed. I mean, you just assume, all right, this is the way shit is. Let me just stay in my lane, focus. You know, I wasn't, mm -hmm. you know, I'm not really into politics. Yeah. Um, and again, this is before, like, anyone really is. Yeah, You're yeah. Like, all this new politics, speak your mind, stand up. Although it was back, back in the day, like, it's, this was kind of the time that shit started buzzing because you got to think LeBron came out and spoke on it and that was kind mm -hmm. of the first floodgate where people were really using social media now to talk about stuff other than 
kind of showing off their lifestyles. Like, mm -hmm. okay, you can make a stand here and you can start a movement here. So, you know, you really credit LeBron for really kind of opening that door because it's never been the same since. You know, now everything is a protest. Now it's this, this, and that. So it's, but back then, like, I was even talking about this with someone the other day of like business. Like, we weren't talking about business in the locker room, mm -hmm. what you're investing in. We were talking about like women, cars, jewelry. <laughs> that's the, women but cars, that's just what the conversation your, your, your was. Girl, like, your girlfriend, it you wasn't don't know no, what you're going to do. Was, yeah, <laughs> it wasn't no portfolio stuff. Yeah. It wasn't no investment. There wasn't no Bitcoin. It wasn't starting production companies. Like, all the, like, these guys now are, are, are going to really win off the court because these are the conversations that are be, being had amongst their teams. It was nothing like that while we played. So obviously both of you guys have kids now that are following in your footsteps. Hey, how cool is that to see and how much, you know, like I think about my dad and how he was with me versus how I'm going to be with my kids. Mm -hmm. Like, has it changed from how your pops was with uh, you to now how you, you well, coaching my, You know, twins? my dad wasn't really, you know, my dad was a drug dealer and, and, and drug user. So, I mean, it, I didn't really have an example when it came to like how to do anything when it comes to kids, love, relationships. So to me, it was always me kind of figuring out on our own. You know, the fact that we have kids by sisters, I think it's dope because, you know, now, you know, my kid's uncle is Gilbert Arenas and mm -hmm. vice versa. Mm -hmm. You know, there's things we can teach, you know, each of our kids now because we both had long, successful careers. So um, it's dope. Like to me, I, you know, from everything I had in my past, I try to be like the absolute best father because I didn't have very much, you know what I mean? So to me, it's just kids are first. Obviously, anyone who knows me knows that, you know, my kids are my life. So I just think it's dope. And, 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 I, and I think it's that fine line because I decided to coach. He decided, you know, not to coach and he trains a little bit now. Um, but I, you know, it's that thin line between being dad and being coach and being friend and being a disciplinary action, you know, so I'm learning you know, on the fly too. But I just never really wanted to be those, one of those dads that tried to live through my kids because I'd already lived my life to, to, to how I felt to, to be the absolute fullest. So I'm there in support, I'm there to teach. And it, 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 it's fun watching these kids kind of fall in love with the game and really want it for themselves. Because again, with me and him both, our kids aren't gonna live the way we live growing mm -hmm. up. They're gonna have all the advantages they want, but at the end of the day, like we can't want it more than them. Like they have to want it. And I can definitely say on both sides of, of the fence that our kids want it now. And it's dope because they go to school together, they get to play together all the time. And it's it's gonna be fun because you know Elijah's only one year older than twins. So they're, they're gonna be able to play with each other probably up until college. It was so funny is like, you know, just like athletes, right? You learn from each other. So learning how to be a father, I got to watch. You know what I mean? Like, I watch my dad because, you know, I was raised by my dad, but he's a single father, right? Mm -hmm. So, but he's acting and doing all this stuff. I'm, you know, trying to, you know, I'm raising, damn near raising myself sometimes. Because, you know, when I get home from school and training and all that stuff, he's sleep. You know, when I'm growing up, so we can be in the same house two weeks and I ain't seen a man that once. Word, right. You know what I mean? But he made sure I had, you know, my food, my clothes and all that stuff. So like watching what, you know, so when I go to games, I'm just watching other parents. Like, all right, okay, all right. <laughs> <laughs> you just try to, oh yeah, they clapped, all right, you know. All right, this motherfucker did a whole, you missed this free throw, like, I don't want that, right? right? So you just, you know, you're just watching your peers, you know, watching LeBron, watch Chris Paul, watch, you just, you watching, you know, because, that's all like we're in the same we're we're in the same boat. We we had the same life. So when it's done, what are you guys doing? All right, okay, okay. So all right, this is how okay, this is how you move in. And you're trying to learn. You know what I mean? You you you're trying to learn, you know, watching someone make a mistake and say, All right, that's okay, let me go. Okay, that's they mm -hmm. like that, let me go here. You know, so you're just trying to really yeah. just get a whole grasp of yeah. you know, fatherhood after playing. Because when you're playing like, I, 
I can tell you when I played, I was no father. No, 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 no. Hoop first, bro. Hoop first. Like, I don't care about your little school, your little preschool, you know, your little drawings you done put on the refrigerator. I don't give a about nothing. I got, I got Kobe, Kobe coming to town. I got Vin. Like, these guys are coming to town. I ain't got time to be sitting here, you know, walking down the street. No, nah, I'm, I'm in the gym getting my 500 shot. Like, so when I had kids, my life didn't stop. Nah, y'all got to fit into this. Yeah. You know, but once I was done, it was like, I don't have this. Now y'all are the basketball now. Right. You know what I mean? I got I to gotta fit into you guys' yeah. world. And that's the difference, too, I think, you know what I mean, with to obviously give Gil his credit. Gil was a different beast. His work ethic, his grind, his attention to detail, like, that was him. And like I said earlier in the interview, I don't want this to come off disrespectful or, or, or not appreciate, but I didn't love basketball like that. You know what I mean? Like, I appreciated life in the moment, you know what I mean? So I'm there from the beginning, you know, with the twins being born, getting them in the middle of the night with my ex and burping one while she's feeding one, changing the diaper and putting them back down. So I was there the whole process, you know what I mean? So to me, it was always going to be, no matter what the f else, NBA, what else I had going on, like, fatherhood was, was, was and still is my biggest accomplishment, you know what I mean? So to me, the hardest part for me was when I decided to split from my ex-wife and then not having my boys there all the time because although I was in season, like, we still would go to the park. We'd still go on walks. We'd still do all this shit. So that stuff was difficult for me, and I had to mentally kind of understand that because I still had to play. You know what I mean? Like, my job, I never forgot what my job was, but I'm like, damn, like I, I haven't seen my kids in a month. Damn, I haven't seen my kids in six weeks. Like, what the f You know what I mean? And to keep it real, that's really one of the main reasons why I retired when I had just signed a, uh, you know, a three-year contract with the Kings, I was retired that same year with Golden State because I hadn't seen, you know, up to that, there was one point where I went like a three-month stretch without seeing my kids. I'm like, I'm 37 years old, just came up on a championship. I have other things going. Like, it might be time to make that transition because I want more of that now. Like, I want more with my kids. I want to mm -hmm. start coaching my kids and being around my kids more. So it was always a special bond with me and the twins and now, you know, being fortunate enough to have Ashton now too, so I get a chance to start all over. So it's I've always been a, a very hands-on dad. So it, it's dope, but still everything that Gil said, watching and learning from other people. Because like I said, you know, whatever the example you had, like the examples weren't the, you know, the, 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 the typical father shit you see. So, you know, we're always trying to learn on the fly and learn from each other. So I know, obviously, your dad's a legend, but do you think, wait, <laughs> he's a legend, not, but, you know, he used to pull up the game, yeah. it was, you know, yeah, he did some shit. when the Barnes yeah. family was coming yeah. through, it was a level of respect you just had, but, <laughs> you know, like, I'm, this is not a man who's to be trifled with, but, uh, <laughs> you know, real, real shit, but do you see the way kind of your dad was a parent to you? Did you make, a, like, a, a constant effort that, hey, I want to be, be different with, with my I kids? I want to be better, but at the same time, like I said, I, you know, and I don't want to come across as, you know, my dad was there, you know what I mean? And he, as Gil said, he made sure we ate, we had clothes, we got to school, everything. Like, they were functioning within their dysfunction. They were functional. So, you know, my dad and I became close when my mom died in 07 when I was with that We Believe team. Um, and that's for the first time when he kind of, to me, became a father. You know, first time I can remember hugging him, first time saying I love you, first time seeing him cry, and I'm 27, but my dad was there the whole entire time. There just wasn't that kind of connect. So, you know, now, to me, I was always under the impression that it was never too late to be a father. So although I feel like he kind of missed out on fathering me, my brother, and my sister, but then also finding out the root of that now because we've had conversations and I found out how he was brought, to me, he's an amazing grandfather now. Mm -hmm. So now he can watch my sister's crazy kids and you know we trust them with you know our kids and being around and he calls and checks and sends presents and him he and I talk you know weekly if not bi-weekly so 
at the beginning I used the way I was brought up as kind of fuel to like, I'm gonna be the best, I'm gonna be opposite mm -hmm. of him, I'm gonna do this, but now it's just like, dope. You know, I just happened to get my dad 27 years into life, but he's still here, and now he's a great grandfather, and now he's a, he's a great grandfather. Um, and now we have a better relationship, so there's never really no grudge or I want to be better. Like to me, it was just from the jump that was my motivation. But now he's a dope dad to me and a dope grandfather, and that's all that matters. That's the craziest thing. It's, that's the, that's the key. There's it's never like when people say, "Man, it's too late." It's never, never too, too late. late. Yeah. Never too late. It's, it's never too late. It's it's and especially when you have a kind of a grasp. Like I was, you gotta understand. Like my parents were like we had the party house. You know what I mean? So mm -hmm. I'm seeing people do you know lines of cocaine like this at. <laughs> three, four years old walking around. So I knew at an early age what kind of drugs and, you know, had a, a handle. And that's what people did in the 80s. People mm -hmm. did drugs in the 80s and parties and did whatever they want. So I got that, I got. I was in the fast lane in the early 80s, you know what I mean? So to me, kind of having a concept of understanding like, he's on drugs, That's it's him, but it's not really him. You know, once he's able to kind of clean himself up and, and, and be sober and, and really put that effort in you need, he was great at it. You know what I mean? Sure. So to me, I just kind of had a perspective and understanding because I was in the fast lane, you know, once I touched the earth. Mm -hmm. Yeah, most definitely. And now, you know, you said that you're coaching your kids. Mm -hmm. They're top top team in their, their age group, right? Yeah, they, we got a really good team. You know, <laughs> they kill them, right? Yeah, we, yeah. Got a, we got a really good team. Um, you know, we're, we just transitioned into 13, you know, we're, but our team, majority of our team is still 12. But, you know, we, we, we got a good team. It's fun because it, it's fun being able to teach these kids. And, you know, they're at an age where they still listen and to see their growth and development um, about, the, uh, about the game is fun. So yeah, we, we got a good team and you know, we, we, we continue to work. And, and the thing about the Twins was, again, I was never gonna push them. So they just had a, a high basketball IQ, but they never worked at the game, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? And I think, you know, I thank Kobe every day, rest in peace. You know, he was the one I feel like kind of let a fire under him because Gil can tell you, like we can tell our kids so they're blue in the face, but we're dad, so. <laughs> You know, for me to be, a, you, you know it too, right? Yeah. Your, your pops was a legend, you know what mm -hmm. I mean? So, but that's dad, but when someone else says it, you know, so getting them to be able to interact with Kobe and Kobe being able to work mm -hmm. them out and, and come to their games and then obviously his, you know, untimely death, like he is the one that really light, lit a fire under the twins and, and started them understanding like, cause I remember I took them to work out with them for his, their 10th birthday. And Kobe, what are they into? I was like, these motherfuckers play video games all day. He's like, all right. So when they get there, you know, where are you guys going to school? Simultaneously, we're going to UCLA. And Kobe's like, no, you're not. And these boys are like, we're not? He's like, well, no, if you guys don't work at your game, like your dad says, you guys are good on, you know, you guys play video games. So you guys might be some computer nerds or this, this, and that, but you're not going to play basketball. And they're still kind of confused, like, um, we're not? He's like, no, you got to work at this shit. And he busted their ass in this workout. And after they were done, they were just like, okay, I like this. And then three and a half months later, Kobe passes, and it's just like, shit, we're gonna do it for Kobe now. So when I tell you, like, that's when they're like, well, dad, well, okay, we wanna train your dad and we wanna start working out more. And since that point, to like, to see how much they've gotten better, okay. because again, they always had the IQ, but now you add the skill to it. It's just like, oh, this is fun, and it's gonna continue to get fun now, because again, they love it, and they want it, not because I want it. So you talk about Kobe, obviously, you got the whole flinching mm -hmm. incident and all that good stuff, but he that literally motivates him to bring you on the squad. Right. Talk about going from, from obviously with the Magic to now on the Lakers and developing yeah. that bond and relationship to the point yeah. now where you can bring your 10-year-olds for their birthday yeah. out to, to Orange County That's to get that big. workout. You know, because, I mean, my Kobe relationship started at UCLA. You know, he was young when he came to L.A., and he was always on our campus. I'm like, isn't that Kobe? And he'd be walking around <laughs> our campus working out and stuff, so getting a chance to see him and 
watch him work out and playing against him in the summer. I was just a fan and <clears throat> kind of had that admiration, knowing just like, yo, this dude is next. I, you know, I was in 1998. He's, you know, I'm seeing him work out. And I'm just like, yo, this dude is next Jordan type shit. So fast forward, I was a fan getting a chance to play with him. It was just, again, someone that I knew, okay, I, I get a chance to play against defense against Kobe. This is great. So there's always real competitive nature with us. And then in the Orlando situation, I mean, anyone that plays Kobe, you know, he's dirty as yeah. grabs you, elbows you, <laughs> says shit, does whatever, but they'll never call a foul on him. Like, known for elbowing you in the sternum, known for <laughs> just doing all kinds of crazy shit, but it was part of that mental, uh, you know, warfare that he liked to put on you. So I was just to the point now, when this motherfucker didn't elbow me in my sternum, <laughs> elbow me, hit me in my nuts, elbow me in my chin. Like, I'm going to fight this dude because these punk-ass refs aren't calling nothing. So when the ball fake shit happened, it wasn't like, I'm going to fake the ball in his face. Literally, my arms did it by themselves like I wanted to <laughs> slam that shit in his face so I faked it uh and then it, you know it kind of became what it did but fast forward so my situation in Orlando doesn't work out because Stan is being Stan, Stan, Stan. being Stan, Stan is Stan. being funny so I get a call from Pat Riley like hey you know we got this we're putting this this team together and I'm like okay what kind of team because I mean I'm in Orlando Miami's right the freeway you know, we're going to talk to Chris Bosh, and LeBron might be coming. And then I'm like, really? What? Really? It's like, you know, just, but it's, you know, this is what it could be. And, you know, our crunch timeline, it could be you, LeBron, D-Wade, Bosh, and Mike Miller. And, you know, we're going to win some rings. So I'm thinking, I'm just going to go to Miami. And it's Miami, too. I'm going to go to Miami. And then I get this call from a number I don't know. And I'll never answer my phone, but I just happen to answer it. And, it, and it's Cole. I'm just like, yeah, right. Who's this? He's like, nah, it's Cole, for real. I'm just like, what? I'm like, what's up? So we kind of start talking. And he told me, he's like, anyone crazy enough to f with me is crazy enough to play with me. Do you want to be a Laker? And I mean, I grew up in Cali. I'm a Showtime Magic Johnson dude. I'm like, hell yeah. So like four days later, I was a Laker. So we went from kind of just com competitors to, to teammates. And then during that very first season, we were both going through stuff in our personal life. So we really, really bonded. Like we were kicking it. I got this motherfucker go out in Milwaukee of all cities. Like we were always <laughs> out and about doing shit and really kicked it and talked about our kids and talked about life and business and family and all this kind of shit so we really went from competitors to teammates to brothers to the point where he's always sending the twins their new shoe he's you know Gigi would we, we'd all be playing at the, the all the shit out in Orange County and Cole would hit me up the night before like yo I saw you guys in the tournament what time you play we play it we play at nine they play at 11 I'll be there you know Kobe would come two hours early to watch the twins play so it was just like that kind of relationship that I built with them off basketball is is obviously something I'll never forget and, and very grateful because you hear so many different things about Kobe, but if he lets you in, he's you're he's nothing like you hear he is. He's no. just he's a credible, crazy shit talking motherfucker. You know, he's just a cool ass dude, but he's the Mamba with that mentality to everyone else. But if he lets you in to see the person, the man, the father, he's an incredible dude. So how much did he help impact? You know, obviously he was coaching. <clears throat> Gigi, how much did that mm -hmm. help you kind of with coaching your kids? Any advice he kind of um, gave you on that side? No, not necessarily, because it was something I always wanted to do. I was actually surprised when I saw him cross over, you know what I mean? Because I used to talk shit about him all the time, like, not shit, but like, you got all girls, I got boys. Blah, blah. <laughs> we would go back and forth when we were having kids, you know I mean? When he was having his daughters, it's like, damn, another girl, Cole. And he, I remember he, in bold letters one time, and I think when he had his last daughter, he's like, God has a sick sense of humor. And he had it in capital <laughs> letters when I think his last daughter was being born. So. Once he found out that Gigi had a love for it, um, it was beautiful because he finally could attach himself to that, and that's when they went to another level, you know, mm -hmm. because he was waiting for that opportunity. He was very content with being a girl dad, but he, obviously he's Kobe, so he wanted to be able to teach basketball to somebody. And, you know, when Gigi was the one, 
it was dope to see at the beginning where she kind of got into it. And then he even said on our podcast, like, yo, she wanted, she's the one that got me watching games again. She got me ordering the NBA package. Like, mm -hmm. it was Gigi. Um, so to be able to see that and, and then just kind of see his whole transformation, I was the one that was actually surprised because I already knew I was going to do it. I just never thought that I would see Kobe sitting on the bench yeah. coaching girls. And when I tell you, like, the one thing he told me is like, yo, these girls practice like five or six days a week running the triangle, Dizzy's just like, you know, we're not the most talented team, so we have to have some kind of structure. So those girls are out there practicing five, six days a week, like running the triangle to perfection. Um, so kind of got just kind of the, the, the beat in the process I can put on my kids. Obviously, I can't do it that much because our team won't get together that much. But just to see his attention to detail and his crossover to being, uh, you know, uh, his daughter's coach, I thought was dope. I just want to hit both y'all on, obviously, recent news, Ben Simmons, deciding to, to hold out. He's got four years left on this deal. When you guys see this happen, do you, how do you think this plays out for him in the Sixers? I want to hear you. I always like Gilbert's take. I want to tell you, hear your take first. There was never no coming back. And this is the sad, this is a sad thing what owners and management does, right? They don't, they don't really understand they don't, they don't understand how the world actually works, right? So you have a product, you don't want the product anymore, right? So what you try to do is you try to damage the products to the world. So, you know, Ben Simmons can't shoot, he don't work out. You, you say everything that you need to say to get rid of him, but then you wonder why the buyer, <laughs> the next team, don't want them. But then you want a king's ransom for that yeah, person you yeah, just shit yeah, on. Yeah, so too. you're trying to, you trying, you got a, a Lamborghini, right? And then you say how, how bad everything is wrong with this Lamborghini. But then you want the Lamborghini price. Like if you really wanted to get rid of him, you would have, you would have, you did the opposite. You'd have said, oh man, he has a great work ethic. He's this, that, this, that. But you know, we're looking for more of a conventional guard. This, but so we got to let him go, even though we don't want him to let him go. Right, that right there sells him. But the fact that you told everybody he don't want to work, he don't do this, he don't do that, he don't do that, now nobody wants to give you full ticket for him. They're going to give you pennies on a dollar, and you don't want to take pennies on a dollar because you know what he really is, right? You know he's a, he's a superstar. Like, so the fact that you're trying to get back superstar quality, but you just told everybody he's damaged goods, it's up, you know, any trade. Because now if you do want to get rid of him, you have to get rid of him bottom line bullshit. So... What ends up happening is now both sides are at this path, right? I'm pretty sure he's going to go to a team where there's going to already be other superstars. You, you're, he's not going to go to a team like the Milwaukee, I mean, not like Minnesota or some shit like that. He's going to end up landing into a big market because the big market is going to give you just enough where you're like, all right, fine. It's just weird. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if he landed in Phoenix or some shit like that because they're going to give you a couple draft picks and somebody they really don't need, and you're going to off Ben Simmons, and that changed their whole franchise. I mean, I think, too, where Gil was saying at the beginning, like, they were at a point of no return, and I saw it from a standpoint of chemistry, and I know how players' egos work. And when you see, and even though they weren't shitting on them, what Doc Rivers said, I don't know if he's a championship caliber point guard for our, our team. And then what Embiid said, and although he wasn't shitting on him, it was just stuff. So to me, these younger players have a different mindset and, mm -hmm. and then they, they take things differently. So I knew 
there was a, they were at a point in overturn when the, the people in the locker room, the coach and the yeah, other the best coach. players said mm -hmm. that shit. I knew after that there was no chance. And I remember I was talking this on ESPN, like there's no chance he's going to go back because of what those two Just particularly said. Mm -hmm. said about him. Now, you can say all the other shit about him, but when your dogs, like when the other counterpart, when your other star and your head coach have questioned you and, 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 and questioned your abilities, that's when I knew shit was going to happen. So, I mean, at this point, I mean, it's going to be who's going to budge first, which is crazy because I heard he's losing like 300000 per something. So I don't know if that's per day or per week, but it's, it, it's going to get ugly, and I hopefully they can then get him out and, and just let him have a fresh start because that bridge is burned. It'll never be rebuilt. You, you know, the bad part about it is they don't want to blame themselves for what he became, right? Um, you're talking about a guy who's... 6'11", can get to the basket anytime he wants. He's the point guard that's coming downhill, long, can jump. So really he's unguardable if his mentality was, I'm just going to go out and score 40. So when you're doing post-up plays where he's passing into Embiid and his man is sagging to, like my thing was with Doc, what plays are you running when he's in? Like what play, you, you think, that he's at the top of the key and you're going to do a pin down for a shooter, where do you think his man is going to be sitting? Right he's going to stop all that curl shit. He's going to stop all that poster. So the fact that you're not smart enough to say, hey, MB, I mean, uh, Ben Simmons, just drive. Just go score. One four, one, one four flat. One four flat until they actually play deep. The fact that you're not actually using him. Like, the fact that you're not Greek the freak in this dude let's, tells me another story, too. Like, I'm looking at things like he has the ball at the top of the key and dude is sitting at the free throw line. And you're still trying to draw a regular play? It just one for a flat. Go. <laughs> Who the going to stop you at that point? Yeah. So, like, my, my thing is he took five shots. That's coaching, too. That, that's coaching, too. Yeah. You know what I mean? You're not, you're not getting him involved. Until the, he's at the point where it's more mental than mental. anything that's his whole thing it's that's mental why, like why, you, yeah. this guy doesn't want to take a shot because he doesn't want to miss he doesn't want this happy don't want nobody for that, that's what that also you're Some not even really sure too. so i mean the mental parts on him and on the way he was brought up to me that but i just because we all know i think he's a special talent i hope he's able to just go and get a fresh start because that's what you need sometimes but to think that ben simmons can't play you're crazy like one I, of the best players in the nba my, my thing was like listen like, I, I understand you want to be Magic Johnson, but I need you to be Magic Johnson, not Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, okay? Go out there and score 40. <laughs> Just give me 40. Like, play the game like you're trying to score 40. That's, that's all it is. Play the game aggressive. Like, he doesn't play aggressive because he has Embiid. He has this guy. Like, so he's trying to look, like, really try to get everybody involved. It's like, the only way they get involved is if you're in attack mode. Like, Russell Westbrook it. Like, so the fact that you're... 6-11 coming in the lane. They have to all come in now. Easy shot right here. Easy dump down there. Easy basket. Like, that's the, so I don't need you to be traditional point. Forget the 10 assists because you're only going to get seven that way. Go for 40 points, you're going to get 10 assists because everybody's going to be sitting here trying to stop you from driving in the lane. And you, you, I mean, you're over on the free throw line. You have to, you know, now those easy passes. But because the game is not being taught to him like that and they're not coaching him like that, you, you, you got a guy who's one of the most talented players on the court who's, who's being handicapped by just the game itself. We'll leave it at that. But, you know, man, we appreciate you for coming on. It's been another episode of No Chill with Gilbert Arenas. We'll be back very soon with more.